This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. I'm Poonam Verma. Today is a fun day because I am discussing... Men and women, what are the assumptions we have about them? What annoys us about the opposite sex? I'll be breaking that down with our relationship experts. They do say we all have a book in us, but where do you even start? I'll be asking a publisher and author for some top tips. Ellis Azam will be joining us for our weekly Pets and Vets to answer all your pet questions. He's a dog behaviour expert and we'll be finding out how to calm the dogs down during New Year's Eve fireworks. We all have our assumptions of what the opposite sex is like. Obviously, it's all just general. This is all just fun. Not all men and women are the same. But there are a lot of common traits that men get annoyed about with us women and vice versa. And that's just normal, right? So we're going to battle it out today. And we want to hear from you. What annoys you about the opposite sex? Do they do something you just don't understand and you want to know more about? Now, on the Dubai Eye battlefield today, representing the men, we have... Have Corey from the Mentality Podcast and Adol from Brotherhood DXB. Both are on a mission to get men to open up and feel safe to talk. And on the battlefield representing the women, we have Iris, a professional relationship coach, and myself, a journalist. And I can say this because I have control over the mics. As highly intelligent and emotionally involved species, we ladies are on a mission to get the men in our lives up to speed with us. So let the games begin. And I'm not going to get dramatic, but yes, I think I am. Did you like that, boys? It was a bit dramatic. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Is it because I'm a girl? <laughs> yeah, I'm scared. There's a bit more bias I haven't added that one. It was to, to make you scared. Are you scared at all? Mm-hmm. I'm not scared, but I, I did anticipate that there would be extra drama because women typically are just a bit more dramatic. Oh. No? Iris. Oh my Iris. gosh. I could say so many things Iris, about this. Just stay in your seat. We've just started. We'll do this in 45 minutes. We'll get on to the other side. Okay, so Iris, briefly tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Iris. I'm a life coach and a certified life coach, and I'm specialized in dating and relationships. Why? Because at the end of the day, I mean, we all want to be successful and we want to have good jobs and want to be happy and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we all want to be loved, right? And want to be successful in love. Um, I also represent The Best Talk in Town, which is a live show on TikTok, uh, and I always talk about dating and relationships. So this is me in a nutshell. Of course, it's much more to say, but we don't have much time. <laughs> no, we don't. We've got a long list, me, me and Iris. Okay, uh, Corey, tell me about you. Uh, hi there, guys. My name is Corey. I am the co-founder of The Mentality Group. And basically, what we do at Mentality is garner conversations that promote positive mentality, right? So by extension, we also speak to women, but we discuss issues that pertain to men. So stuff like finances, stuff like intersexual dynamics, which we'll be kind of going in and discussing today, and things of that nature. So yeah, we just want to bring the best out of men in general. And finally, Adil, who was dancing to Tony Braxton. I mean, that was a tune. Um, yeah, my name is Adil. Uh, I'm a mindset and masculinity coach and also the founder of Brotherhood DXP. So what I do is, I want, you know, I want men to be to be better versions of themselves 
myself. And in, as much as we're in this room about to fight it out, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of actually having conversations that bring us closer together, not further apart. Well, we're going to find out if we get closer <laughs> by the end of this uh, session. But we're, not, we're here to fight it with love and compassion and understanding. If there's an odd puncher in there, it's fine. You know, yes. from the girls, you guys can't punch us. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start off. We're going to go alternate from girls to boys, the assumptions that we make. And you guys are going to answer for us. And we're going to do our best to answer for you. And just remember, we've all been brought up differently. We all have our different cultures, upbringings, ideas. So none of this is right or wrong. So Iris, Except ladies myself. first. You start off with an assumption that you have. Thank you. Um, when it comes to things that us ladies were annoyed and that men do, of course, it comes from um, dating, relationships, uh, friendships that we have with males and in general males around us. But being very specific to dating and relationships, um, for example, do you want me to be very specific? Give us very specific examples. Look, this is an open forum. It's a battlefield. Let's get direct. First of all, it's a communication issue because you were talking about assumptions, right? So um, I like when people, men, can communicate because otherwise I will always have to guess. I will always have to assume. So what, what, is, the, what is the annoyance right now? What is it you want to ask the boys? Why do you guys don't say what you have to say? Or why do you guys don't take some time to sit down and talk? And ultimately, why do you say, because I heard this from a lot of men, I don't want to just sit down and blah, blah, blah. Why? Because, mm. you know, communication is so important. What is it that you think isn't being said? What do you mean? Like you're saying that men aren't speaking about stuff. What is it that you want to hear? There are a lot of issues that are we have. Are you saying they keep things in? Exactly. Do you and guys keep things in or uh, have you learned to be more communicative? I, I, think, I think lots of men don't like saying more than they need to say. Because um, they might get into trouble. <laughs> potentially. Sometimes, you know, you could say something and it's just taken the complete wrong way. Sometimes, it's, you know, honesty isn't the best policy. And I don't think a lot of women can actually... Uh, take the truth is it yeah. is it because you just like to keep the peace i think i think that partially can be some of the case but like what adil said one of his um kind of last points was can you hold space for his truth i think that's the biggest thing right i think oftentimes when men are very honest and upfront with women it's not necessarily received well right and when you think about men and women interacting with each other especially if it's a woman of significance in your life you want that to be a space of peace right so if by me saying my absolute truth is going to disrupt that piece, I would prefer to probably keep it to myself as opposed to air that out. You know, when women are quiet, or they keep things in. Do you as men make assumptions of what's going on? If women are quiet? Yeah, they're not saying something. A quiet woman, you can think, why is she being quiet? It does, you know, but do you, do you build up assumptions or stories in your head thinking maybe it's this, maybe it's this? You know, I definitely think it depends on, on what kind of person you are. Like I have some clients that have like an anxious attachment style and I've definitely been someone that's been like that mm. where you can go into your head about things. But I think a lot of men like the peace and quiet, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay, so I'm going to hand the sword to Corey. It's okay. your turn. Um, well, this isn't necessarily as much of a direct question, but it's kind of a, an... A perception that you know men men have about women is men think with logic and women think from their emotional lens what do you ladies think about well that? we've got hormones like 10,000 more hormones going on around you <laughs> then obviously that's going to happen mm. um that plays a massive part mm. it really does it, you know it just depends when you're talking to us and what time of the month it is as well <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely does that, seen... that that seemingly creates a bit of a disparity though when you go to the point of conversation and communication right because like you said if we're you know if it's different and it pitulates bearing in time bearing in mind that the 
time of the month you're in, it can make it difficult for communication. I as mean, well. I try and be balanced, but mm. I do not. Me personally, a lot of my friends aren't like this. I can get really emotional straight away and I have to hold myself back. Mm. And I'm trying to learn to do that because I, I'm quite a calm person. I'm not an argumentative person, but I can be very sharp and get straight to the point if you cross the line, <laughs> right? And it will hurt the words. Mm. They will hurt. But I'll only do it really if I've tried everything else. You know, and if you've hurt me, then obviously there's going to be a pain. This I'm not going to be that balanced. What about mm. you, Iris? I totally believe in balance, and I I support and I preach balance. Um, we're differently built. We're differently wired, and it's mm. always a matter of understanding each other. And it's true, women are much more emotional than men, and men are more straightforward. More they have more logic, and they use that. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Spoon and Verma with you till 5pm. We're currently having a fun little battle of the sexes. What annoys you about the opposite sex? Do text us on 4001. I've just got a text from Stephen. He says, girls, just keep quiet. Listen and you will learn a lot. Men are superior in every aspect. Steve, I have your number. I'm a journalist. I'm going to find where you live. Right, it is my turn. I'm going with the big question. Okay, okay? let's do it. And again, it's just some. I'm not saying all men, okay? So here's my question. Why do some, very successful as well, men cheat, especially if they have an exceptional woman, such as Jay-Z, cheated many times on Beyonce, Eric Benet, many times on Halle Berry? Explain. Oh, my God. That's Deep. so loaded, right? Yeah. There's so it's many very angles loaded. to yeah. There's so many angles to kind of dissect that, but I think it. I think oftentimes when you think about a man becoming successful, right? Oftentimes when you think about like attraction, it's not asymmetrical, right? Like a woman's attractive off the bat, a lot of people would say, you know, just her her, her beauty, her feminine charm, the fact you can bring children into the world. These are all uh, values that you have with no prerequisite. If you if you if you understand what I'm, where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. and for men, a man to become successful is very attractive, right? Because he's it represents all of the tenants and all of the the kind of traits he's had to cultivate to get to that point, which typically women find attractive. But it's it's inverse, right? So when a man becomes successful, ultimately his pool of options is like duplicated, like you know, I don't know, tenfold, and then it can make it sometimes difficult to you know stay in the monogamous situation, which was probably which may have been founded when you was you wasn't the guy who you are now. I'm not saying this morally correct, but I think oftentimes that becomes the case. So the ego gets the better of them. The ego you could definitely get the better of them, for sure. And it could be also, then you've got the flip side, it could be a number of reasons. It could be things get at home, you know. I've had uh, people that I know in the, you know, in, within my life and some clients of mine also that at home, they are not seen with the same reverence that they're seen outside. You know, yeah. because the woman at home knows everything about him, knows when he doesn't do the dishes or, you know, he leaves mm. his socks on the floor, whatever it's going to be. But outside, so magic he, as this gone. successful man, he's seen as this, wow, this, this, this successful person. And he's attracted to someone as he is. Mm. Um, but let me ask you this. Yeah. If it had been Beyonce who'd come out saying, I've had several affairs, do you think Jay-Z would still be there? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely. There you go. Okay, Adol, uh, it's your turn. All right. So I had this one in. Um, why do women... Just expect us to know what they're thinking. <laughs> Maybe because you don't talk. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a good one. That is a good mm. one. Um, I, I, th- I think you're right on that, to be honest with you. I think it's because we think you're as intelligent as us. Oh. But obviously, you're not. 
<laughs> Maybe it's because we're quite intuitive. So we can, I, I can usually sense when somebody's off or their mood or their, their body language. Maybe it's just we're more intuitive and we expect you to be more intuitive. I don't know. So that expectation is the killer of, uh, of all relationships. Huh? <laughs> expectation is the killer of life at full stop. We yeah. all have so many expectations. Yeah. We do. Uh, we've got um, a message from Parik as well. Um, he wants a question. This is for us. As a man, he's asking us a question. Why do all women have this cleanliness problem? What if I left my towel down on the floor? What's the issue? <laughs> do you guys leave your towels on the floor? I, I've left it on the bed. I've left my socks no, on the I'm side. Not, I'm Why? not one of those guys. Corey isn't like that. Corey, so it just depends on you as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Parik's married. He's complaining about his wife, basically, there. Okay, Iris, your turn. Okay, so my question is for you guys. Why, when you get in a relationship, after a while, you're getting so comfortable? Right, and Corey, by comfortable, I mean no more dating, no more courtship, no more taking care of us, no more sweet talk. You know, everything becomes so... Mm. Not, I don't want to say boring, but it's like, you know... Mm. It's same just it's a bit same, same. Yeah. I think in the beginning, it's a little bit more transient, isn't it, right? Like, it's like, I'm... Um, taking you on dates I'm courting you mm. I'm texting you all with the you know under under the guise of trying to gain something whether it be you a relationship something. whether it be sex or something like this right but then when you've got the woman it's very easy to become complacent now because it's like what what I'm, what more am I trying to attain out of that and I would argue and actually say that you know there is so much more to gain in the confines of a relationship in terms of strengthening that actual you know that bond but a lot of men maybe don't look at it in that in that through that lens men like projects right men like to build things men like to conquer if you just think what men are typically like so even when it comes to dating and relationships and mating it's it's this conquest you know that they, they put in all the effort to get to get the gold and once they get the gold it doesn't just seem as shiny <laughs> that's really depressing yeah, yeah I mean dating yeah. is work right because you want to impress someone you want to get that person you have a goal but a relationship is also work right mm. I'm going to carry this. This is not how I think, okay? I'm just, I'm just expressing. <laughs> um, but I can see how men can become complacent in these things, especially even when you look at men and maybe, you know, not going to the gym as much and letting their bodies go. And yeah, it happens. Okay, so it's my turn. Um, why do men bring up their exes in conversations, especially in new, in new relationships? I mean, just let it go, move on. Oh, thank you for this. <laughs> you can feel me, right? Totally. Yeah. See, I can't relate to this. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I can. I get it. I get it. But I, I guess it, there's so much context to that. Um, but I think just as a blanket, it kind of gives you an understanding of how the man interacted with his past relationship and maybe gives you, in essence, I feel like he's communicating very covertly in that sense, in the sense that these are the things that went wrong in my prior relationship and mm -hmm. these are the ways I want to kind of navigate it moving forward. So it's kind of using it as an example. Like men like to use examples and parables and stuff like this to explain where we're coming from, right? So in essence, that kind of acts as that to because some degree. On, on the one hand, I appreciate it that that person's mm. open. But on the other hand, I'm like, are you over this person or are you just mm. sharing this information because exactly. it's still in your head? Mm. That's so a perception thing. And right? there is something else, if I may. What, what I noticed from my experience and the clients that I'm working with, the problem is that it's not about sharing your past. It's normal. It's perfect. But the problem is when you bring your past in the present and you're judging the person in front of you, which is a new person, based on your traumatic previous experiences. This is when the problem comes. Well, I think we all have baggage and we all have insecurities that, Absolutely. We, that we bring in. And, it, and, it, and it's difficult. Let's say if you've been cheated on. 
that's going to be stuck with you. You're going to monitor that new person. How can you not? Because you trusted someone before and then, mm. you know, they disrespected you. And that's you. why to some degree it's sometimes actually good to talk about our past and where we've come yeah, from and why things bother us. But You can understand why that person acts a certain way maybe because yeah. of that. So, but so to anyone listening, if they are in a conversation like this and they are hearing a man talk about this stuff, maybe it's about unpicking that and saying, right, what are you really trying to tell me or shall we go a bit deeper yeah. and understand each other better? Yeah. Rather than think, is he over his ex? <laughs> but I think the new person in front of you deserves a chance. If you don't mm. give trust, of course, I'm not saying not to be careful and look around. But if you don't give trust, what are, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. Anything else, Corey? This goes back to reference, right? We always have a reference point for, for things, you know. It's like, you know, let's say you've never been with someone and you get with someone and that's your first idea of a relationship. With poor reference or, or no reference, actually, it's kind of like, how do I judge that person against, what do I judge that person against, right? So in essence, that's what it is, right? I'm referencing you in comparison to the people I've been with before to see how you kind of stand up in that regard. It might sound very, you but know. I, but I think it's hard not to compare. But I also mm. think that with each relationship or as you get older, you've changed, you've evolved. Mm. So you wouldn't, I mean, I look back at the people from 10 years ago, I wouldn't go back out with them. I'm a different person, you know mm. what I mean? So you're kind of trying to attract the people where you are today and the kind of person you are right now. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. The UAE's number one talk radio station. It's Puna Verma with you. We're in the middle of a battle of the sexes, a fun battle of the sexes, just breaking down men and women, their assumptions of each other, and having just a, a really nice conversation with the guy, Corey from Mentality Podcast, Adol from Brotherhood DXB, and Iris, who's a relationship coach. If you want to join in, text us on 4001. Just off air, we were having a chat and um, I last week I interviewed that entrepreneur Stephen Bartlett and there was something that he said which I really liked and you know he made a lot of money when he was 23 and he said to himself he wasn't uh, happy because he was attracting the wrong people. His ego had got the better of him and when he was with his girlfriend he broke up with her because he said to himself she's not perfect so this is not worth it and that came from watching movies and chick flicks and seeing you know, fake couples probably showing how happy they are on Instagram. And he actually said that. Um, And then a year later, he realized the question he needed to ask himself was, is this relationship worth it, even if she isn't perfect? Because he wasn't perfect and he worked on himself. And what he said is that the relationship he has with her today is a reflection of the relationship he has with himself. Mm. Now, Adol, you said something off air, which was great, about how you were moving from one to the relationship to the next um, thinking it was their issue. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I just wouldn't taking any accountability for my own actions and or even listen to the the themes. I thought, you know, if I really look look back and connect the dots, the common theme was myself rather than blaming these ladies for um, them being the reason why they weren't good enough or, you know, they're not right for me. I just didn't really invest in myself enough in order to be part of these relationships. Um, But I didn't know. I had no awareness so when, when did that eureka moment come thinking, okay, I need to check myself? So about three years ago, this is after kind of like, uh, and at the beginning of this journey that I went on to become a men's coach, um, I I just, I hit rock bottom mm. and I realized that, okay, something's wrong here. Like, it, it, let me just look inside. And I spoke to people and I also spoke to my sister who knows me more than anyone. Mm. And I said, I need you to tell me everything about me. Everything. Because wow. she's seen all my relationships. She's seen everyone. She's, you know, she's met people. She's, she's the most brutal as well when it comes to honesty Good. and we would, we would fight a lot in the past as well because i couldn't you know i couldn't take her truth so when she expressed to me like and the list is huge the list of things that she said that you know i've got to work on did was, you was recognize massive. these things on the list about yourself yeah 
so when she said them and I wrote it down because I was also I was receptive to actually wanting to know like what is it what are these what do I need to work on and some things you know not not everything was that was I felt that needed, needed to be dealt with or anything like that not everything was on me but there was so much truth in what she was saying and I think more of us could take 360 degree feedback from our loved ones with a pinch of salt and then go away and reflect on it yeah and and that's what I did and what changed then once you started um, doing that did you start attracting the right kind of people I took a lot of time out, um, but yeah, definitely. I was able just to have better conversations because I could I, I could articulate myself better. And, and, and did you realise what was stopping you or for throwing these relationships away? What it was within you? Was it an insecurity, a doubt, a fear? Yeah, it was a lot of my past. So mm. it was this relationship I had with my mum, actually, that mm. um, impacted a lot of my relationships with, with the ladies I was with, um, which was, yeah, fear of commitment, fear of being with someone that was like my mum. That's so, so funny because Stephen Bartlett said the same. He said his mum just shouted at his dad and that he thought a relationship was just completely mm. argumentative and his girlfriend didn't shout at him all and he was so confused why she's not shouting at me whereas for me I was very touch what I was very fortunate I, I was with parents who had a lot of respect for each other and they never shouted they talked to each other they're very, very much like a team so when someone disrespects me I do not handle it well because yeah. I haven't seen that that's been my template and we all carry that with us don't we mm, exactly yeah. so I think really just get to know yourself better yeah look at your where you come from and what, and what brought you to where you are today and speak to those around you that know you best mm. about your traits and characteristics that might not be favorable to you or those around you i think uh, one thing which Corey mentioned as well off air was that a lot of people they're attracted to somebody but they get into a relationship and they don't even compare what are your values what are your morals what is it that you're looking for you know we're just like oh she's cute he's cute we get on really well and we laugh and he's got a great sense of humor end of mm. and then six months down the line this is where the values are not aligned. Yeah. Do you think these conversations need to be had before? 100%. 100%. What do you think, Iris? First of all, I think people would get in a relationship no matter what. Most people. And I would say, actually, it's more women than men. Because women are built to nest, right? We, we want to build a family. And um, we get in that relationship and we're not ready. First of all, because we need to work on ourselves. We need to be okay with ourselves. And we need to make sure that we're able to give... 100% in that relationship. So this is this is an issue. A lot of people are in a partnership, in a relationship, or even in a marriage for the sake of being in that, which I totally don't recommend. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've just had a text in. Um, I'm trying to read it because it's so long. It says, I love this show, but men are treated as harbingers of capitalism. Capitalism has no room for your individual emotions or expressions. Women are given the space from early childhood to express emotions and feelings. While young boys are taught to not show weakness, to not cry when hurt, and to stay strong. Spread this across a man's lifetime, and the outcome is a person who does not know how to express how they feel. I'm a feminist, uh, though, realize the issues surrounding men's emotional IQ truly stems from our role in a hyper-capital global society. Do you know what I find on, on, on social media a lot? You know, you've got all these entrepreneurs, um, if you, Gary V, like I remember meeting him and I didn't like his energy. It was just so like full on. <clears throat> and he's recently done a podcast with Stephen Bartlett where he's actually crying because a lot of these entrepreneurs go, you can make a million, you can achieve this. I know there's a void that they're, they're lacking because this constant chase is an insecurity within them. And w w this text kind of relates to that too. What do you, what do you think, Corey? 
Yeah, I think that void is what is trying to be filled, right? Because you think about if a man's whittled down to just a list of provisionings from a very early age, in essence, like like we said off air, the value, right? That a man's born with no inherent value. His value is what he can produce and bring forth in this world, and right? Provide, so. Yeah. You, you're in the attainment of all of these worldly things that are outside of you, but you don't fill your own cup. And in doing so, you, you get there and realise, actually, this doesn't give me the, the degree of fulfilment I thought it was going to give me. Yeah. And that leads to, you know, um, negative holding patterns, negative behaviours and things of that nature where people actually just have more and just are just more, um, more dysfunctional because obviously the money is just going to be an amplifier of what's already happening internally, right? And it's interesting because as the other side, I have a lot of friends who um, are married, got married at the right age, have kids, and they're saying to me, what's my purpose? They're not even fulfilled. Exactly. So we have these societal expectations of where we should be at a certain age and what life should look like. And I'll give you a real life example. I've been looking, I watched a lot of these videos, right? these kind of these men's videos around being better and um, just elevating who you are uh, in society. A lot of these videos are have um, a very young audience, so it's young boys. And I'm reading through the comments just to see what the sentiment is. And it's young boys, 12, 13. You know what? Um, one of my goals for next year, I want to make money. I want to be successful. I want to be there at 13. I know. So the sentiment of or yeah. even what boys should be doing now is, is changing from an even younger age. You know, it's not I think it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And they're comparing themselves a lot to everybody. So we're going to have to round this up. I've got another 10 questions being Iris. <laughs> I don't know how many of the boys have. So we'll have to do this again one day for fun. Um, and also, um, I just want to ask Iris, what are some of the most common issues that you're dealing with with relationships right now especially in this region uh, I would rather talk more about dating actually because you know dating is fundamental and if dating doesn't work right um, you cannot get in a relationship um, so I find that there is not much chivalry left I find that also women they don't have standards so mm. I always for me because I want to be fair here Always there is an issue on each side, right? So women, they don't have standards anymore. They don't set boundaries. And of course, men got used to that. So why would they put in the efforts? Why would they invest, right? So they don't have manners anymore. It's like, it's a huge, it's, it's a jungle. It's a, it's a fight and it's a battle. So it's not easy. So everything starts from dating. And if dating is already so challenging, how can you get in a relationship? Yeah. Of course, when you get in a relationship, because it still happens, like a lot of people are lucky to get there. Hmm. Um, a lot of the things that I've been facing is the is the cultural uh, factor here, right? But it, I have a lot of examples around me, and actually, it works because they meet halfway, and this is the secret. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Corey? Who's coming into mentality? Any major discussions going on right now that you're seeing? Um, well, this dating is one of the biggest ones because, yeah. like you said, there's a. I, th- I think you know when you said chivalry yeah. is in essence dead, right? Mm. A lot, you know, there's a saying chivalry is dead, and women's the one who killed it. I think with the whole feminist, uh, women independent movement, it kind of makes men feel like they can't necessarily be chivalrous because women feel like they want to be able to do for self completely. Oh, I don't. I like a man who has manners. Yeah. I love that yeah. too. Yeah. You know what? I, I ascribe to that as well and I do it and it's, and it's oftentimes well received but I think because the idea is seeded in our minds, men think twice about pulling a woman's chair or holding a door for well, her. Well, you better open the door when oh, I, I leave today. <laughs> okay, <Cora. laughs> That's about, no problem. What about you, Adol? Uh, the problems I'm seeing most frequently are problems within their marriages, mm. but also men's feeling of what is, like you mentioned earlier, what is my purpose? What am I doing? They have just nothing that they do for themselves. Oh. They just, all they're doing is grinding all the time and they're just facing this everyday losing battle. Yeah. And so when they come to circle, they speak to me, they just, they just don't know where to start. 
Okay, well, I just want to say, three of you, thank you so much for thank you. Thank you. Uh, joining for this conversation. Um, definitely get you back on again. And I did ask Roger, so I want to end with this line. <laughs> And the reason I can do this is because I have control of the mic, as I said. But uh, I did ask Roger from Offscript. I said to him, what annoys you the most about women? You know what he said? He said, they're always right. say we have a book in us have you ever wanted to actually write a book do you have a good idea or you're trying to write now but you just don't know how to go about it or even finish it well I feel your pain I've been writing one on and off for about four years and I think it's due to my lack of confidence in myself as an author Uh, a few insecurities I keep delaying it today we have an author who has his own publishing company called Passionpreneur, and he represents loads of authors in this region and worldwide. Welcome to the show, Mustafa Hamwi. How are you doing? Hello, Poonam. Thank you for having me here. It's not, Now, we know each other for about two years because I interviewed him a while ago, and I was telling him that... Um, you know, I was writing a book and he's very strict. Like, seriously, he will discipline you. So he's, he's not soft. If you're going to work with this man, you've got to be tough. So let me start off by asking you, tell us a little bit about Passionpreneur. What kind of authors do you represent? Uh, so, well, first talking about the tough, yeah, I totally believe in tough love. You do, uh, I, I still, it's, it comes out of love, but disi- discipline is the first thing you're going to need to get a book done. Yeah, his love's kind of scary for me, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's the only kind that, that has produced 100 authors so far that we're working with. So the way Passion Pinner Publishing uh, came about was very coincidental. So when I started some people might know me here in Dubai, the listeners. Uh, I used to be in PR uh, events and entertainment up until about 2012. Yeah, and you had a very full life, didn't you? It was crazy life, yes, mm. back in the heydays. And eventually I bought a one-way ticket to India, uh, had a transformational journey, went 2012, came back 2013, started delivering inspirational talks. My talk was called Cavalli to Manali. So it's the journey of my life going from the Cavalli nightclub uh, and into Manali where I met my Swami. And a few months later, I'm sitting here in Media One Hotel and a random person, I don't know, passing by, he looks at me, he goes, hey, you're that speaker guy. I said, yeah. He goes, you did your talk about India? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you changed my life. Oh, nice. And that was like, wow, that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So I got into speaking and I got into coaching. Um, and, but then I also realized it's a, it's a very cutthroat environment. Uh, everybody pretty much who went through a transformation, which yep. is a lot with every crisis a lot of people they will suddenly become a life coach or a and, and then uh, which is which is you know that's the entry point for everybody but the question is how do you stand out and how do you differentiate the solid ones for the real ones and so on and what I did is being a media guy I started a talk show my talk show was called Passion Sundays that's what I got known for so every Sunday I'd interview an international speaker I was transiting through Dubai and all of them bar none would tell me Mustafa write a book I'm like, but I'm not a writer. Mm. I'm not a native English speaker. And I actually hate reading and writing. I love learning and I love teaching, but mm. I, I, I'm not a hold a book person. I'm an audible person. I'm a watch a video. I'm a teacher in a course, More but not, a, not physical, yeah. sit down with, a, with, with paper. And they all kept telling me, write a book, write a book, write a book. And consistently out of, I've interviewed about 160 people face-to-face, global figures. Almost every one of the successful ones told me, write a book. So eventually I'm like, hmm, there must be a way that I could do this, but let me finish the interviews. I took the learnings from my interviews, distilled them into a workshop, took the workshop, turned it into an online course, took the online course, transcribed it into my book, which was Live Passionately. 
That's my, my best-selling, previous best-selling book. And then suddenly I looked at it and I'm like, huh, there must have been a much easier way to do all of this. What I took is I took the structure of the final book that came out, reverse engineered it, and I would go, oh, that's a much more practical way to produce a book. And by that time, people started reaching out to me saying, Mustafa, we've seen that you published a book. Could you help us with it? So it was really out of trying to help a few friends that wanted to write and publish books, but they needed structure and support. And I found myself helping one, two, became 12, and then launched the publishing business in 2018. And we've been doubling by the year. So 2018, we had 12 authors. 2019, we had 25 authors. Beginning of 2020, we were at 50 authors, and early this year, we've hit 100 authors, and now we're scaling way beyond over 100 authors, covering all genres that are nonfiction, that are in the transformational and personal growth uh, and business growth space. But hang on a minute. You had never written a book. How did you know how to write a book? Well, it's the process that I just explained to you, which was really going the long way to figure it out. You, you didn't look at any teachings? You didn't oh, go to God. any classes? V- very good question. I mean, I, I try to make it, uh, I intentionally in my life eliminate uh, things that are not serving me from a, uh, from a, a story point of view. Mm-hmm. So, but if I bring back the challenges that I went through, uh, I tried first the typical advice of wake up every morning and try to write two pages. Yeah. Disaster didn't work. That's like me. The, I, I, first thing is I hated waking up in the morning, yeah, coming too. from the nightlife events and all of that. So really waking up that early, I'm just not in the right space. So it took me a, a while before I get my head around it. I put a pen and paper next to my bed. I tried to scribble and write and I just get emotional and I had no structure and I didn't know what I was doing. So yeah. it was just scribbles and messy stuff and so on. I'm like, that didn't work. You know what? Let me, let me, get, let me go for the big guns and get a ghostwriter. I right? see. And then, and, and, and my advice here, do not, and I repeat, do not get a ghostwriter, but I'll tell you my experience. So, so I went, I'm like, I'm going to go get a ghostwriter. I did the research, found a native English speaker who left life living in Spain somewhere in, in villages. And all she does is, a, is ghostwriting, interviewed, shortlisted. And I had my, my baby was a, a Harley motorbike back then, Harley Nitro special. And I had to sell my bike to pay the money for the ghostwriter. Okay. This is how, so that's one thing I want people to take away is you gotta really believe in your dreams. You gotta believe that you gotta be willing to pay the price and you gotta be disciplined and not give up with every attempt. So then I, I took the money from my motorbike, paid this lady and took off for a week, flew to Turkey, went somewhere in the mountains, took off, because I'm like, I don't want to be disturbed. Like, like Paul Aquello. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in, I'm invested. <laughs> this book has got to come out. I'm, I'm going to make it happen. And I fly to Turkey, and for a week, everything we're doing, two hours, three hours a day, we're having interviews at night, we're talking through it, and, and I'm crying my heart out, and she's recording and transcribing. And a few weeks later, I get my first manuscript. I'm like, yay! And I open the manuscript. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Within, within the first two pages, I wanted to vomit. Like, really? I really wanted to. Like, I was feeling disgusted with reading the story. I'm like, this cannot be my story. And it doesn't sound like me. And it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just, I don't know how words cannot describe it. The whole manuscript ended up being in the garbage. I lost the money from my bike. And basically, so that was the end of the ghostwriting attempt. Still not giving up on the opportunity or, or the goal that I had where the rest of the story, which is me going through the transcribing my course 
and turning it back into a book. Wow. So this is where I figured out a better way to do structure because originally my background is in public relations. I used to handle the PR for Nokia in the Middle East back mm. in the days. And so I come from a communications background. So I understood how to structure it. Mm. And then what I did is I started literally researching and studying every book out there that had a good structure and go, okay, what's common across all these books? So I started analyzing, researching and, and you know, a few things. So I then I came up with a structure. So no, it wasn't a straight sale from, oh, here's an idea, here's a book. Because what I told you is I started my speaking career at about 2014 professionally. Yeah. And my first book came out in 2016. Okay. So that was a 40-year journey. And four years at my pace, and you call me <laughs> discipline and you call me tough. So you can imagine those four years in a normal scape would be eight, 10 years. Yeah. Which is what people say, you know, we've been attempting it for 10 years. Yeah. And then what happened is we took this process. And since now we have over 100 published authors, uh, look, I would say almost anyone who's a leading figure in uh, their field in the region have been published with us in every single industry. Mm. Uh, and they come to us with an idea and our job is to get an idea out of their head uh, and help them in a structured way, turn it into a book in a span of about six to eight months. So okay. it's about finding the optimal efficient point. And really yeah. this is what we've mastered. So I'm going to ask you the question that we hear all the time. Do you think every single one of us has a book in us? Very good question. And I believe everyone has a message to share. Uh, and eventually books are one of the best tools to share out there because I always say author equal authority. Oh. So yes, I mean, the question is, does everyone has or have to get their book out now? Well, maybe when they're ready, mm. but also don't make that one day. Because one day is not a day on the calendar. Right. I've got your latest book here. It's called The Guided Author, A Leader's Practical Guide to Go From Idea to a Published Book in a Few Months. That's by Mustafa Hamwi is with us right now. And on the back, Stephen Covey has written, It's exciting to see what you're doing, Mustafa, to see the various authors and books published and the influence you are having on the world. And he is a New York Times number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author. So... Let's talk about this book. What are the first questions any of us should ask before attempting to write a book? Uh, the first thing you got to answer is why are you writing the book? What is the purpose behind the book? And you got to be really brutally honest. You know, I meet a lot of people that are just uh, trying to be a bit way too humble. Well, oh, I don't, I don't care if I get famous. I don't, well, listen, if you're going to write a book that's not going to get famous, every year there's half a million books that get published on Amazon. So if you've already predefined that I don't want to be famous, I don't want to be just known. Wasting your energy. You really write, and then you're just procrastinating writing the book for year after year after year. Then, you know, every, everybody will die with a book in them. That, that much I oh, know. Oh, wow, yeah. But the, the point is, will everybody get it out? Uh, then, yes, everybody has that book and they got to answer why they want to write the book. Is it to leave a legacy? Is it to share a message? Is it, is it to build a personal brand? Is it to uh, drive uh, clients that they like and enjoy and love working with? Because you can't serve people that don't appreciate you. Yeah. So if you want to be a coach or you want to be a mentor or you're an executive and, and the client you're trying to serve does not want the food, that's like putting a, a food spoon in, in, a, in a baby's mouth mm. and they spit it out. Mm. You've got to really also work with people that want to work with you. So that's the uh, point number one. 
Now, when it comes to when it comes to my work, especially when I edit and make videos, I'm a real perfectionist, right? And I can see the smallest details. I don't know if it's the Virgo in me. And we've had a text from Lena. She says, I'm only 15 years old and I'm thinking about writing my very first book. So I feel really happy about it and I want to start writing right away. I just don't want to feel like it will be hard for me because I'm a perfectionist. How do I let go of wanting it to be perfect and just start writing it? Thank you very much, Lena. The first thing is I would say, Literally two days back, I was with our youngest author, who's 18 years old, mm. uh, and she had a, a, a personal story of challenges in the school and then a health issue, uh, mental health issues and so on. And then with the support of a fellow uh, coach who specializes in working with teens uh, who are taking a gap year. Uh, she's helping her write the book. So I think her incident happened when she was 15. So tell Lena, I would love to support her. Please reach out. Um, And the best way for you to get over all of these fears is to remember that it's not about you. Yeah, that's a big thing, isn't it? I think I carry that with my book, going, oh, what will people think and this? And we've got to let go of that. Get over yourself because you are there to share a message. And you see, this is what I mean about sometimes I understand. You you just got to get over it. Do you see, guys, how harsh she is? It goes, get over yourself, Poonam. That's exactly what you That's all there is to it, you know? You want to waste the next two years of your life trying to to, to be soft and and fluffy about something that is simple as that. And if the best way I can serve you is... Do it that way. I love the way it just nips it in the bud there. So let's talk about times and dedicating time and location and space. I don't. I can't remember if J.K. Rowling said when she had the kids, she'd either write really late at night when they were sleeping or early in the morning. So she had a set time. I know people who have gone to Thailand for a week and written. How do you find that time that's right for you? Because I haven't figured that out. The first, it's back to the same point that, you know, we mentioned earlier and Lena, and, and Lena asked about is when you understand that you are here to serve, mm. you're not going to procrastinate. When you're here to serve, if you see somebody in need and you've got whatever they need, then why are you holding back? Mm. So first thing is start. And the best time to start is yesterday because it's still going to take some time. And you and me had this conversation a couple of years back and here we are. I'm going to call you out on air because you're going to finish your book. I'm going to get detention after this. (laughs) You're going to finish your book because, you know, you're not serving yourself and you're not serving anybody. So just just do it because it only it's one of those things. Once you've done the first one, it just easier. It gets easier. It's, It's muscle memory after that. And the second thing is once you answer the question about why you want to know who. So who are you actually serving? Find mm-hmm. the niche that understands you. Find the, Because the people that understand you will be easier to speak to. So mm-hmm. you're not going to have to think too much because they already like you. They already like your message. Mm-hmm. Then all you got to be is be yourself. So once you're there, you do it and you just speak naturally. Uh, once you've done that, all you got to do is you got to do uh, what we call outline or in our system, we call it blueprinting. Yeah. And the blueprinting is simply coming into every chapter and defining the basics of every chapter. So think of it in a simple way, the why, the what, the how, the who. So just really ask, what do I want to talk about in this chapter? And, and talking about chapters, I met a friend who's an author. She's just done her first book and working on a second. And she said to me, look, Poonam. If you're not feeling the first chapter, you don't have to write it all in order. If you want to write the third chapter, start on that. Should you or should there be an order? I personally do not agree to that type of writing because that's more general creative writing. And yes, it works for some people. However, that ends up being a very long creative project. The only way to finish it is to finish it in a structured manner. It's a bit more painful. I'm not saying it's easier. I'm saying it's more efficient and effective to do it that Mm. way. So first thing is you only do the outline, which is you answer the important questions. Once you've done the answers of all the questions, 
All you got to do is now grab your phone and record for 15 to 20 minutes per chapter for a total of about three to four hours. And that's going to give you 150 to 170 page book with the most efficient time possible. So the process that your friend recommended can work, but the challenge, and I'm talking from experience, uh, I've done four of my own books and I've published over a hundred so far, and we still got about 20 or 30 in the making. I'm talking to you statistically out of a hundred, a hundred percent. Anybody who hasn't followed the process ends up complicating their life and hours later mm. because it means more editing, more work. They get creative, they get too creative and they're not sure if they change their mind. It's like building a building. The first thing you do, you don't get on with building the building. You get on with designing the building and you define what is the building for? Is it a hotel? Is it a, an apartment building? Is it an office? And then you design it. Then you dig the foundations and you put the main pillars and then you put the walls and do decoration. So okay. that's the logic that I use. So they say don't judge a book by its cover, but on this case, I'm going to because I do look at a book cover. How important is it and how much effort do you need to put into the cover and the actual title of the book? So actually, I the, I have a chapter in my new book, The Guided Author, that's called Do Judge a Book by Its Cover. Mm. Uh, because the reality is in today's world, uh, the dynamics of how people evaluate you uh, is heavily driven by image, whether we like it or not. I'm not I'm not here to judge if it is right or wrong. I'm telling you what are the real dynamics of, of this world. And the first impression is the book cover, title and subtitle. Yeah. That's the most premium property on a, a book. And I did comment on your book when we met last week. I did say, oh, I like the book cover because it's very simple. I don't like fussy book covers. Yeah. The, because because remember the talk about the audience because I know my audience yeah. and I know what they're looking for. So yeah. there are lots of books about how to write a book out there, but my book is designed for leaders, for executives, for coaches, for consultants, and I know how they think and I know they like this kind of a title yeah. with this side of cover. Yeah. The second most premium property of your book is the back of the cover. And this is where you put your short bio and a summary about the book. So if you've got a great cover with a title and a subtitle that's attractive, people will pick it up and flip it and read the summary of on the back. Yeah. And if they like the summary of the on the back, they will open it and go to the list of chapters. Mm. And you see, that's why the order I mentioned, because when you know your audience, you're gonna you're gonna come up with a title and subtitle that really deliver yeah. what your book is about. And the best way I will give you a format for the elevator pitch for the books. You start with my book helps and you define the audience, mm. okay? Struggling with or aspiring to, and you define the challenge, the problem, or the aspiration. And then you say through, and then you define the system that you're offering. And then you define at the end of it, you go, so they can, mm. all right? So I'll give you an example. In my case, my book helps leaders, so that's the audience, aspiring to write and publish their book with the minimal effort possible, or executives who are not writers nor native English speakers aspiring to write their book through a structured system so they can finish their book in three to six months and spread their message message to the world. Okay, now we're running out of time, but I want to ask you one last question. Self-publishing or go to a publisher? Beautiful question. Uh, Self-publishing typically is uh, about democratizing publishing. So this is when you literally go on Amazon and really just do it yourself. You, you get what you pay for. You buy a table from Ikea. We all, we all started there. But, you know, how long does it last? How good does it look? 
it's something else. And also it's that marketing, isn't it? How far can you take it yourself? The other end of the spectrum is traditional publishing where you lose you lose your copyrights to the publisher, which mm-hmm. I do not recommend. What we do is independent executive publishing. So we give you 100% ownership of your copyrights. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the same time, we give you the credibility and support of a traditional publisher. So what I recommend is if you can find an independent publisher, okay. that's something that we can help with. So if there are authors out there and they want to contact you, how do they do that? Uh, please email me on mustafa at mustafa.com. That's M-O-U-S-T-A-F-A. That's mustafa at mustafa.com. And I'd be happy to help. And specifically for Lena, who's our 15-year-old aspiring author, I'd be excited to make her our youngest now. Oh, and also you can check him out on Passionpreneur Publishing. And as he said to me, get over yourself, Poonam. Thank you so much, Mustafa. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. Groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. So, Elia Sazam, this is the first time that you've come into the studio. You are the founder of Everything Dog. I know you're nervous. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and good afternoon for everyone listening. It's nice to have you here. Welcome to the studio. Now, tell us a little bit about Everything Dog, because off air we were just chatting. You have basically been in investments, you've been in fitness industry, and now you're the founder of Everything Dog, which is a completely different shift. So what is what happens at Everything Dog? So um, we've always had the passion for animals. We were born, you know, like many other people with, you know, pets around us, different species, dogs mainly. And uh, I had a secondary degree in uh, canine behavior and uh, training. And uh, once, you know, I started working in the construction industry, you know, it gets troublesome, it gets too much. My wife was like, you know, this is too stressful for you. Why don't you just go into something you enjoy doing and you enjoy working with dogs? I was doing it part time in the evenings, you know, helping people for free. And then, uh, you know, think one thing led to another. I was working on something different to everything dog, a, a bigger uh, project with an investment group, an accumulation of my years of working in construction development and, mm. you know, the building hospitals and all of this stuff. And, you know, moving into, uh, let's say, the veterinarian world, dog training and piecing things together in uh, a skill that wasn't available here. And then uh, the pandemic happened and uh, sort of we all struggled and, you know, we had to rethink and reinvent, uh, you know, how things are done. And then uh, I got tired of waiting, you know, and things went on hold. And I said, OK, we're going to have to do something. And every, I came up with Everything Dog. And um, Everything Dog is all about uh, training. It is a place we designed um, to be sterile as a hospital. Right. Uh, it's not built to please uh, the human eye. It's built around how dogs should be uh, maneuvering and how we should be able to work with dogs. Uh, we only work with a, few, a limited number uh, of uh, dogs and we're mainly uh, focused on training and behavior. We do have uh, you know, our uh, daycare and boarding uh, facilities. Uh, we like to call our uh, daycare um, the school of wolf because no dog, sh- <laughs> no dog should come through uh, everything dog and not be uh, trained. In so, so on your hand, no one can see this. He's got um, his wrist and his hand covered with a bandage. Is that something to do with the dog training? Um, not really. It's oh. uh, an old uh, wrist injury. Oh, that's good. I was just worried about that because training some dogs, especially here, like my neighbor has a foster dog. Luckily for me, this dog loves me. But honestly, he is so big. He barks at people and he scares the living daylights out of them. So, you know, being a dog trainer, you can easily get injured because 
hundred uh, percent. You know, you deal with in our uh, work, uh, we deal with a lot of uh, different cases, and aggression is in dogs uh, can be a real uh, struggle. Yeah, you have to be very careful how you approach it, and uh, before you approach it, how you set up the meeting with your uh, clients. And then, you know, it depends what you're dealing with, uh, you know, 60, 50 kilo, uh, kilograms uh, dog um, can, you know, be very painful. Uh. So when I so when I was little, we had a toy poodle named Dusty um, and he was so good at home. He would do everything I said. The moment I opened the front door, he would run out like a rabbit, like so fast, like like a, a runner, a dog dog runner, a professional dog runner, to the point where he would cross the main road. People would like uh, beat their horns. And I would just hide in the house thinking, please don't let anyone crash the car. Please don't anyone hit him. And it was terrifying. This happened for 14 years of my life. Yes. And he never got knocked over once. <laughs> you he's know, very lucky. He's a very lucky boy. Yeah. But what is it when it comes to something like that, a situation like that, where indoors, absolutely great, but outdoors, don't care. You know, working with a dog, the first thing we need to understand is dogs have, let's say, a black and white sort of thinking, you know, areas. The gray area doesn't really exist. So if you're training your dog and working with your dog within the household, and you know, it becomes a magic place. It's only training in that, you know, in, in this indoor space. And the mm-hmm. moment you leave the house, they don't generalize that behavior or are you trying to train them. So it all goes out of the window. And, you know, you're dealing with different stimuluses outside. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, ki- it's kind of like me when I was at home and then when I go to university, two different types of behavior. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, yeah, you, you have a behavior around your family and you have a behavior around your friends. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's true. So coming up, obviously, we've got the New Year's Eve celebrations, which means there's going to be so many fireworks. And we all know how dogs react to that. What kind of top tips can you give to dog owners? Look, when we speak about uh, fireworks, we're also speaking about, uh, you know, noise reactivity in mm. uh, general. Mm. Uh, fireworks uh, also is not only the bang of the firework, but it is also the, uh, you know, the launch of the firework, the sort of this yelp, this screech that also affects the uh, hearing of the um, dogs. And, they react to it. And is it because they can hear a lot more clearer than... Uh, Absolutely. So it's more, it's harder for them to take on the ears. Um, yeah, absolutely. They hear much better than us, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, also, we have to take into consideration uh, multiple uh, things. Uh, my advice is the the first thing: if if your dog is uh, sick, or you know your dog is uh, suffering uh, from uh, a chronic uh, disease, for example, and uh, you know he's reactive to sounds and it can cause anxiety, the first order of business is to discuss this with your vet and come up with a plan on, on uh, you know, how to calm your dog. And it can be, you know, devising a sort of a prescription uh, for the uh, night. But it is absolutely important you, uh, you acknowledge the problem and you deal with it from that perspective. But what would you recommend calming a dog down when there are fireworks going off at night? Any For, tips there? Yeah, first thing is uh, we shouldn't be just reactive to the fireworks. Uh, we should be proactive in our approach. So start from now uh, working with your dogs and, you know, desensitizing them to um, uh, sounds. Uh, you can do, uh, you know, I, I like to work when, when dogs are uh, stressed. Uh, I like to exercise the dogs. In, and, you know, exercising helps you, uh, you know, uh, relax, calm, release, you know, uh, stimulating um, uh, you know, hormones uh, that allow you to calm down and then the dog is a better uh, place and you can operate with the dog uh, much nicer. Mm. 
but also you have to consider some dogs uh, completely shut down, you know, with uh, sounds. So you yeah. need to be uh, calming them uh, down. So if you have a dog that is, uh, you know, you know, is reactive to uh, scary uh, sounds, uh, especially the fireworks, don't take them out uh, to start with, you know, mm. the, during the fireworks. Make maybe, sure they're... Maybe play some gentle music in the background so they can't really hear the fireworks, like meditation music. Ab- absolutely. You can do, um, uh, you know, uh, you can put the white noise, uh, mm. make it louder than the uh, fireworks yeah. in that moment. And you can also start training your dogs in prior with the loud noise. Yeah. And uh, the int- you can also start to introduce the sound of uh, fireworks in the house and train your dog and do, you know, with them some distraction yeah. uh, work during this. Uh, you, you know, uh, during this session. So you can do 15 minutes of training uh, like this three times a day before we reach the fireworks day. So we still have some uh, time. And don't underestimate uh, the power of uh, training, you know, uh, three, four times, uh, 15 minutes a, a day with your dog. It does bring results. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. I just found out that uh, Elias is actually studied in Liverpool. That's yes. how they say Liverpool. It's the worst accent than Birmingham. Well, I said, uh, you know, England is a country and Liverpool is another country. Oh, <laughs> and every city is a different country with a different yes. accent. OK, but we can understand you clearly now. Now, we've got a couple of texts coming in. We also have a message from Neymar. So let's see what she has to say. I have a beautiful small dog named Donut. He's super friendly and loving. And he loves getting into cars, so he loves going out. So you hop in the car happily. But while we're driving, he'll be crying. Um, So he gets really anxious in car rides. So we're not sure why. I mean, he enjoys going to other places in the car, but it's just on the road while we're driving. He gets really anxious and starts whimpering. Thank you so much, Naima. Why do you think the dogs get anxious? Some of them get anxious in cars. There can be uh, multiple reasons. But, you know, the first thing we need to rule out is the dog doesn't have motion sickness. And many dogs do. So the moment the vehicle starts moving, you know, they can get nauseous, they can, you know, feel dizzy and it's not a pleasant ride for them. So, you know, I've seen dogs that are very comfortable in cars, some dogs that are nervous in cars. And, you know, once we start doing it and we desensitize the dogs to the cars and, you know, we, we make it a more of a positive place through training. Uh, you know, they, they become more calm and, you know, accepting to be in a, a moving uh, vehicle. But some dogs, you know, they will always have that uh, motion sickness and it was not a pleasant uh, mm. place uh, to be. So, you know, I suggest you, uh, first of all, you know, try to um, seek a professional uh, dog trainer, uh, behaviorist, who can just assess the situation with you, uh, show you a few techniques on how to uh, make uh, the car a more uh, pleasant experience through, you know, positive reinforcement with your dog. And then, you know, from there we can, uh, you know, assess the situation much more, whether it is a behavior that is related to him being, you know, suffering from motion sickness or it is just... Uh, uh, you know, something that's making him nervous and we need to, you know, find a different approach to uh, you know, so sort out the issue. Okay, so another text from Spike's dad. Dad hasn't left his name. It's just Spike the dog. Uh, says, my dog pees on my pillow. Why? I first have to say, why is the dog on the bed? Oh, there you go, Spike's dad. You know, um, I, it's a setup that is tricky. Mm. It can lead to behavioral uh, problems and it's not unheard of dogs displaying such, uh, you know, uh, marking uh, behaviors. It is a a behavioral issue. I would start uh, addressing the issue with not allowing the dog to uh, the bed and uh, completely separating 
the uh, relationship between uh, a dog is a dog and a person who sleeps on the bed is a, a person. And you establish this clear uh, communication with your uh, uh, dog and, you know, from there you put a better structure. Okay. Uh, we've got another text, but no name, saying, I have a reactive dog to other dogs. That's like my neighbor's dog. He just reacts all the time when he sees other dogs. It's Why very is common. It is? Yes, it's very common, and we see it all the time. Um, and we, we do, there, there's actually, you know, uh, solutions to this uh, problem. Mm. Uh, you know, I can give you a general answer now, uh, but normally we deal with uh, this uh, case by case. We have to see the dog and what kind of reactivity we are dealing uh, with. Reactivity is uh, different. Um, but uh, anything you expect from your dog to do, yeah. you have to train him to do it. You cannot ask, uh, you know, uh, expect the dog to be doing a certain behavior without you actually teaching that behavior. Yeah. So, and also we have a rule of thumb, if you like, um, the absence of a behavior is an introduction of another behavior. So if you are uh, going out and uh, that your dog is reactive, the level of interaction between and you and your dog has to be assessed. Is your dog responsive to you when uh, you actually call the dog in that situation? If not, then we, you know this is where we need to start. And uh, the best way uh, to start is working in a calmer, quieter environment and then start amplifying the uh, stimuluses that uh, can activate uh, the dog slowly, slowly. So you know, rather than uh, punish the dog, and uh, straight ahead, you know, putting him in a very uh, amplified situation. Uh, first, let's break down the training and go back to basics. And from there, we can work on the uh, reactivity. So there's actually things that you need to do before you just solve the reactivity towards other dogs. Problem. Is there a perfect age to start training a dog? Because when I got mine, he was eight months old. And I used to think maybe that's why he's a nightmare outside the house. I say always training a dog is uh, as soon as possible. Mm. You know, there's a lot of work that needs to uh, happen with uh, dogs, even when they are puppies and when they are born, that also allow you to, uh, you know, avoid, uh, so, you know, anxieties to sounds, for uh, example. Um, if you are getting a dog uh, from, uh, you know, um, let's say you are buying a dog from a reputable uh, dog breeder, mm. generally they do a lot of desensitization work until you are able to pick up the dog. If you are going to rescue uh, a dog or foster uh, a dog, you know, the, the, it becomes much more of a challenge. Mm. So, you know, a, a bit of background or whatever ever available of information you can get on, on that dog is going to be helpful. And from there, you start uh, training the dog. You have to differentiate between uh, behaviors that are, uh, you know, you want with the dog within your household and dog training. Mm. You know, um, not necessarily having a very good control of obedience uh, on sit, stay, come, and the general obedience is going to solve the problem of your dog nipping within, mm. you know, in the house or the puppy nipping in the house. So we have to differentiate these things, set up dogs to succeed in, uh, you know, behaviors in the house and uh, set them up to uh, succeed in obedience uh, training as well. Uh, Spike's dad just text saying he obviously is not allowed on the bed. He just goes on the bed. <laughs> so he's, he's a cheeky little one, which I like. I like cheeky dogs. I like dogs and I like children who've got a bit yeah. something to them, a bit yeah. mischievous. I don't like too well-trained kids and too well-trained dogs. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Should put my microphone up. In the studio with me right now is Elias Fur, the founder of Everything Dog. You can check out his page on Everything Dog Dubai on Instagram. He's got a massive following and you can see what they do with the dogs there. They train them. They help them with behaviour issues. Farouk, I've just seen your text. We're about to ask Elias the question. 
You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. Okay, so Farouk says, my dog insists on pooping on the same rug, even after taking him out for a walk, and eating the flowers. Now, what do I do? I did try making him sniff it and saying, no, bad dog. Um, so the first thing um, you don't want to do uh, that, ask your dog to, you know, or, or make your dog sniff his poo. You know, there is no uh, clear communication here mm. between you and uh, the dog. He, he doesn't really understand uh, what you are trying to achieve. Rather, you want to build a sort of a routine with your uh, dog on toileting. And uh, the best place uh, to start is uh, create uh, training to toilet your uh, dog. It's a very common uh, problem. You are not alone in the struggle. It is one of the most universal, uh, you know, um, uh, problems we have in uh, dog training. I get loads of calls, you know, on how to teach dogs to uh, toilet. It's time consuming. It's difficult in the start. It takes a few weeks. But also you have to be uh, uh, realistic with the the age of uh, your dog and how much effort uh, you have put into fixing this uh, problem. You can't get a, a three, four old uh, months old uh, puppy to, uh, you know, uh, hold itself from uh, urinating uh, for four or five hours. It's yeah. just simply not going to happen. Yeah. And um, I used to have a cat flap and my dog used to go in and out of that in the garden. I trained him to do that. And it's, it's also very easy to mark that uh, behavior. Yeah. Yeah, it takes, uh, you know, dogs are uh, habitual uh, creatures. The more you uh, work on a routine, uh, the more you will get uh, results. And you just need to have a nice routine that's timely on a schedule and you'll get, uh, you know, good results with that. And don't uh, give up when the dog does a mistake and don't, you know, go and, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, they try to do, uh, you know, like make the dog sniff it or, you know, scream at the dogs. Or you're just going to set the dog backwards and it's not going to resolve anything. So just be a trooper, clean it up and, you know, uh, mark that, mark down the time you did, did, did that mistake and tomorrow, the, the, the day after. Just take him out half an hour earlier. And the moment it, it does its toilet business outside, you can reward your dog for that. And with regards to eating uh, uh, the flowers, you know, first of all, you need to be very careful what kind of flowers it's eating. You know, if it's indoor plants, you know, it can be very uh, poisonous, depends what you have. So make sure your dog doesn't have access to, uh, you know, indoor plants. Generally, most of them are poisonous to uh, pets. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, try to put your dog on a leash uh, for many reasons. One, it's the law uh, over here. Uh, dogs shouldn't be off a leash. Oh, really? Yes. So uh, even if you're walking a dog, they should always be on a leash? 100%. Absolutely. That's, that's the law? Absolutely. Oh, really? And also, you know, imagine you have a smaller dog that's uh, uh, loose and uh, just goes to sniff a bigger dog and, you know, disaster can strike any moment. And you're putting everyone around you in uh, danger. You know, having a dog also is good to have good etiquette in how you walk your dogs yeah. and don't put your dog or yourself or other dogs at risk. Mm. It's always, uh, you know, sound and a uh, good idea to use a leash. Okay, good to know. Um, it's obviously Christmas has gone. It is a time when a lot of people buy little puppies for their kids, especially. And like, normal relationships six months down the line reality hits and it's it's a lot of hard work it's you know the idea of having a puppy is so beautiful but it is hard work having any kind of pet in your house you were saying there was a number one reason that people dump dogs down the line what is that toileting for the simple reason of 
training yeah. them to toilet. They, they, you know, they either, uh, you know, most of in our experience, most of the calls we get are, uh, you know, to do with uh, toileting or uh, can you find someone else to take uh, the dog because of, uh, you know, they can't cope with that uh, anymore. It's um, uh, unfortunate, but, you know, before you get a dog, there's a few things that you need to be doing. Number one is, you know, the moment you get your dog is you go and see your vets and you make sure your dog has coverage uh, on all the vaccinations. And if it does, make sure your vet makes a decision on whether you need to repeat these vaccines or no, or you do a vaccine check and you know your dog has coverage. And before you, you know, you start socializing your dog or putting it at risk if it doesn't have sufficient coverage or it hasn't developed antibodies, your dog can, you know, pick up one of these very nasty viruses and you end up with, you know, rather than enjoying your dog in a very nasty mm. um, situation. The second thing is before you uh, get your uh, dog, um, do your homework of from where you're getting your dog. So if you're buying, you're buying. At least bide your time in getting the, uh, you know, um, a dog that works for you, uh, for your uh, household uh, needs. And uh, make sure you are uh, researching very well uh, the breeders you are working with. Good breeders do a lot of, uh, you know, groundwork that will save you a lot of uh, time, especially on uh, toileting. And they set up, uh, you know, dogs through uh, different stress tests, which helps them also deal with, you know, sound issues such as the you know, loud bangs and uh, the fireworks or thunder or you know, and then you know it's a very sound idea to speak to your dog behaviorist or dog trainer on before you receive the dog what you need to do, how to set up the house, and after uh, you know you you meet with them and they teach you how to you know establish these good house manners. Again, uh, you know, dog training is something and dog behavior within the household is a completely different scenario. Yeah. Teaching your dog uh, obedience is not going to solve uh, the problem of uh, your dog uh, reacting to the doorbell. Mm. You know, mm. but you can use obedience to solve that problem and yeah. we'll show you how to do it. Um, talking about barking, my our, um, Asra says my dog is barking inside the house. How do I stop this? this? My friend's dog does exactly the same. We're there on Christmas Day. It wouldn't stop barking. So, again, the absence of a behavior is an introduction of another behavior. You need to be training your dog to do a different behavior in that moment. Dogs can be reactive to different things, you know. We have to establish, first of all, why is he barking at what he is barking. And from there, we devise uh, a plan. Mm. You know, that there's a lot of uh, solutions. But it's our job to be, you know, crafty and creative in coming up with a solution that matches, uh, you know, this dog's criteria to why he is reacting and how we solve it within that household. Mm. Do not ask a dog trainer to take uh, uh, its dog to their center and invest in training it there to solve these issues. These issues much be, must be solved in the household. The generalization of the behavior has to happen in the household. How do you choose what kennel is right to put your dog in if you're traveling? That is a very good question. That's a question you told me to ask. That's why off air. That's why it's so good. <laughs> it is. And this is something that scares me a lot. You know, the first thing is we need to establish uh, transparency between uh, dog facilities and dog owners. Dogs do get sick. And sometimes when they are changing environment and the owners are uh, traveling, it's stress. Mm. And stress can uh, reduce the immunity and that can cause a dog to get sick. And the first thing you want to do is, uh, is approach a facility that's very transparent about this. They're going to call you immediately. Even if they cannot reach you, they're going to take action. Yeah. And then, you know, from, the, from there, they secure your dog. And then, you know, um, everything is, uh, you know, taken care of. The other thing is you need to look more into uh, these facilities, how many dogs they are housing, uh, you know, um, 
how they're cleaning their facilities. Mm. What kind of you know a cleaning program do they have? Uh, uh, this is a very tricky uh, matter. Um, dogs come from different uh, homes, uh, from different uh, walks. From you know they're dealing, they're going to different parks. They're seeing other dogs. How do we control infection yeah. within uh, our facilities? And especially uh, here, we see a lot of uh, you know um, viruses and uh, you know bacterial infections. And you know a dog can walk uh, through our door uh, asymptomatic. He doesn't have any. Uh, you know, symptoms, all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, we find out uh, next day he has, uh, you know, uh, diarrhea. Uh, well, uh, you know, n- now most of the facility has been, you know, in contact with that dog. How do you deal with it? Yeah. So how do you deal with that is also a very high standard that you need to accept. And it can have commercial precautions on a business. So is the company or the center you are dealing with prepared to deal with uh, such scenarios? Do they have, you know, um, isolation wards and, you know, so on? So it becomes very tricky. So always you want, you know, to deal with facilities that are, you know, experts in dealing with uh, uh, dog behaviors, dog training, but also the priority for us is always the welfare of the animal. Mm. Do you know, um, uh, growing up, we didn't have much knowledge on how to keep a dog, what to feed a dog, but we, we just kept our dog very simple and treated him like a dog, but he, he was the love of my life, right? True. He was my baby. But I do find a lot of people, and I have friends here who treat their dogs beyond being a dog, like a, an actual baby, to the point where they dress them. They feed them with a the spoon. They will only have a certain kind of food or they have to grow up like a naturalist or f- vegan. My sister's dog, I think, isn't even vaccinated. She sprays it with a spray on his paws before he goes out. Should we be doing this or, or, or is this just too much and a dog doesn't really care? The, absolutely, the dog doesn't care, you know, <laughs> what you uh, wear it. And sometimes it's not the best thing to do, you know, to put a jacket or, you know, any clothes on the dog. I know it's eye-pleasing, but uh, for a dog, it doesn't differentiate. I don't like it. You know, it doesn't have a preference. to. So, so my friend should put her dog's, the top of her dog's hair, Maggie, in a ponytail. As soon as I see the dog, I take the hairband off because I say, I'm tired. My hair's been in a ponytail for four hours. Her little face is going to be tired. That's how I feel, you know. She can't say it. Uh, absolutely. You know, we should leave things in their natural order, in their I natural uh, state. We shouldn't be treating dogs like, uh, you know, humans. Yes. It is, you know, just going to end up in uh, causing behavioral issues. Generally, you know, we get a lot of behavioral um, calls on uh, small breeds uh, becoming very reactive or nipping or, you know, just yapping and barking. And, uh, you know, because in the start, they get away with all these behaviors. Mm. You don't want to have a a large breed dog, you know, jumping at guests or barking at guests. He will uh, scare uh, scare them, you know. My small breed dog will get away with it. And guess what? He's been rehearsing the behavior for for two, three years. And then we get the call, come and fix my dog uh, now. And uh, there is no magic solution. There's a lot of groundwork that needs to happen here. Yeah. So, Elias, from Everything Dog, where can we find you? If somebody wants to come to you, get their dog trained, sort their behavior out, where do we find you online on website and Instagram? So, uh, we are physically in uh, Maidan uh, area. Uh, Our Instagram is um, Everything Dog Dubai. Our website is uh, everythingdog.ae. And uh, we'll be happy to help, uh, you know, anyone. Oh, if only my dog was alive, I would have brought him to you. Tune in every weekday to Afternoons with Helen Farmer from 2 to 5. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com.
or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts. <laughs>